Well, again, good morning. I want to thank Chip and Sam for joining us in the worship team today. It was nice to have them join us. And uh, what a great time of worship we had today. Amen? Amen? We continue to worship the Lord through the study of God's Word. Everything we do here is about worshiping God, praising and worshiping God. And whether it's through fellowship or in prayer or in singing or in the study of God's Word, our purpose, our, our essential purpose as human beings created by God is to worship and praise our Creator and to bring glory to Him. Amen? Let's pray this morning. Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, and now we come to you, asking that in all things you'd be glorified. None of us are worthy. None of us are deserving of your love. Not one of us can walk in this place today and say we belong here in our own strength or in our own merit. Uh, But we've all come here because of your grace and your mercy, as we sang this morning, because of your love. And we have responded to your great love by simply saying, Lord, we want to be here. We want to hear from you. We want to worship and praise you. We want to study your word in a world that is so desperate for the truth. We have this truth, this precious truth today. We ask that you would speak to our hearts. Change us, Lord, for being here today. And as a church, help us to continue to do the things that you've called us to do, like support Inspire Sports Camps and reach the inner city youth, the next generation that is being twisted in so many ways by the world, by the devil, by the messages of the world. What a wonderful opportunity we have to invest in the kingdom of God, your kingdom, by investing in a ministry that reaches hearts and lives in the inner city. We thank you for Pastor Kurt and the ministry team at ISC. We pray that you would provide for every counselor, every need, and that that camp would just be filled with campers this year that really, truly want to and need to hear your word and the plan of salvation in your word. Lord, we thank you for all the things you're doing here. We pray that you'd be with our children next door and continue to bless us here in the sanctuary. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, you can open up in your Bibles to the book of Acts in chapter 5, where we left off last week. Now, I'll admit, last week was a tough message. Whenever you have to preach on Ananias and Sapphira, you know it's going to be a tough message. It's not one of those passages that I pick out as a guest speaker. I'm going to show up in a church and talk about Ananias and Sapphira. No. But we are going to talk now about the results of that account. What we talked about last week bore fruit. As tragic as it was, it bore fruit in the early church. God did an amazing work after and through that tragedy. And I say it was a tragedy because there was nothing good about what happened, and yet God can often, actually always, brings good out of evil. He looks at tragedy and sees it as as an opportunity to reach people's hearts and to change lives. I'd like to say this last year has been somewhat tragic in so many ways, for all of us, and for some extremely so. And yet I believe God can do amazing things taking out of this very difficult year a harvest of souls to his glory. Now, what we're going to see today is that the church continued to gather. Despite all that was happening, the resistance and some of the difficulties they were facing, the fact that the apostles at one point had been arrested and taken into custody, we we looked at that in chapter 3, 
The fact that there, there, there was uh, people who, who were lying to the Holy Spirit, Ananias and Sapphira, and that God had to deal harshly with them despite all of that. The church continues to gather at the temple, and the apostles continue to preach the gospel and to testify to the resurrection, and they do so with great power. We read last week in verse 33 of the previous chapter that with great power the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all, all of them. And so now we pick it up in verse 12 of chapter 5. And we read there in verses 12 through 14 that the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders among the people. And all the believers used to meet together in Solomon's colonnade. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. Nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. God was working. God was working in a mighty way out of what was a very difficult chapter in the church's history. The church had become a pure church. God is always looking to purify our hearts and also to purify the church. Now, we know something about purification over this last year, right? Have you had enough of hand sanitizer? I mean, I remember early on when we didn't know a whole lot about what was going on, I mean, I washed my hands every five minutes. I I remember, I'm not a big hand sanitizer guy, but I will wash my hands. And, you know, I remember worrying about what we touched and that whole idea of everything's impure, even like an Old Testament thought, unclean, unclean, you know? And we went through that for a little while, and then we realized what we were dealing with, and that wasn't really the issue. But still, I remember what it was like to, to, purity was like all over everyone's lips. It was like, oh my goodness, we got we to gotta clean this. We got to purify that. One point, we actually hired a cleaning crew, actually twice, to come in and wipe down the entire Sunday school. This was early on when we didn't realize we would end up closing the Sunday school. Uh, and we started wiping down or having a crew come in and use antiseptic and, and go through the whole Sunday school to make sure that there were no germs Why do I say that? Because you know something? Purification is a good thing when it's needed. And the church desperately needed to be purified, and God purified it. I think that the church was in desperate need of purification, and still is in many ways, about a year or so ago. And I think what we've seen is a purification of the church, a separation of the wheat and the chaff. God is looking to brothers and sisters in the Lord, to to come out really sincerely worship God for the right reasons, not for entertainment, not for what you can get, but to even at times make sacrifices, maybe even risk your health at times to do the most essential thing that human beings are called to do, to praise and worship God. And I believe, and I've seen it with my own eyes, all of us, myself included, our hearts have been purified through this circumstance. We actually have had to ask the tough questions. Do we believe in God? Do we trust God? Do we believe God can keep us safe? How important is it to gather for worship? Is it essential? Are we willing to be intimidated into not doing the thing that God has called us to do for all eternity? We've had to ask those tough questions, and I believe through tragedy and difficulty, while God is not the author of those things, 
God purifies his church. He purifies our hearts. Well, what we see happening in the early church after the situation that we read about last week is incredible. It's wonderful, actually. The church had become a pure church. They were filled with reverence for God. We were told they were seized with the fear of the Lord. They were, they were filled with reverence for God. They were free from deception. Nobody was playing games. Because if you played games, you were going to get called out. Imagine that. No playing games. Listen, listen, listen. Brothers and sisters, one of the wonderful things about recovery ministry is that it starts with the premise that you're not going to play games, you're going to be honest about what's going on in your life. And it's why it's so effective. Sadly, in the church, too much energy is given to appearances. Too much energy is given to telling everybody how well you're doing when in fact you're not. I would much rather our fellowship adopt the principles of recovery ministry than continue in a deceitful way. Not that we are, but I would never want us to just walk around saying everything's great. Everything's fine. How are you doing? Oh, great. Praise the Lord, brother. Meanwhile, you're dealing with substance abuse. You have thoughts of suicide. You're depressed and you're going through a really difficult time. You don't dare talk to anyone. Why? Because you wouldn't want anyone to think you're not the perfect Christian. That oftentimes can be the church. It shouldn't be, brothers and sisters. We can be honest about our failures, our hurts. You know, one of the good things that came out of this last year is people weren't afraid to say, I'm I'm concerned, I'm scared, I don't want to get sick. I was sick, I hope I get better. We were actually a little bit more honest, I think, not just as a local church, but as believers in Christ, about our fears, about our anxieties about our concerns. We were even honest about things that made us angry. We were angry about things that were going on in our culture. And we could be honest about those things. I would love for us to continue to be honest about how we feel. That needs to be the approach in the early church. If we're going to be a pure church, we have to be an honest church. Now, I'm not saying you're going through a difficult time, you post it on social media and let everybody know what's going on, but you should be talking to somebody about the difficulties you're facing. We all face them. I've had some wonderful heart-to-heart conversations about things that make me angry, mostly so I don't mention them in the pulpit and asking God to help me to make sure I behave. I need to behave, and it ain't easy. I've been talking to people about my concerns about this or that, and, and I love the fellowship that God has provided where I can be honest. Can I, 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 I'll say something like, can I just be honest with you? And, and what a freeing, wonderful experience it is to be able to truly share what's on my heart. Good, bad, and ugly. A pure church is free from deception. We think of deception as something like, oh, I'm trying to get one over on someone. But you know what? Deception is not that. Deception is any anytime you and I are dishonest and unwilling to speak the truth. Now, the apostles... Can you imagine what it must have been like to be an apostle in the early church? The apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered to perform miraculous signs and wonders, and, and not on a limited scale. Because if I, if, if I could say that we saw one miracle a year, like miraculous sign and wonder in this church a year, I'd be like, wow, right? But imagine if it was constant and all the time. That's what was happening 
Now, of course, this was an answer to their prayers. They had prayed in chapter 4, verse 30, these words, Stretch out your hand and heal and perform miraculous signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. Does God answer prayer? Amen. Amen. He answered their prayers. So if you want to see miraculous signs and wonders, healings, those types of things happening in our midst, it starts with prayer. Praying for God's will to be done in those areas of our lives. Now, they knew that the Lord had called them to heal the sick and perform signs and wonders. I'm going to be honest. I know that God hasn't called me to do that. All right? There are a lot of things that God has called me to do, and I don't feel that God has called me in that way. However, I pray that if God wants to heal someone or work in someone's heart, that he would, and oftentimes he does. Amen? But I know that I'm not an apostle, okay? I'm not called to do what they did at that time. And I doubt there are very many people that are. However, look what God was doing because he wanted to do it through their lives. He was healing the sick, performing signs and wonders through them. And they received the gift of the Spirit talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. It's called the gift of miraculous powers. And again, I don't have it. I can tell you if I had the gift of miraculous powers, the last election would have turned out differently. So I know, you know I'm having fun, right? You know, okay. I'm being honest. <laughs> so I don't have that gift, but I have gifts of the Spirit that God has given me to use, and I use them, and I feel as if that's all that God really asks us to do. He's gifted you to teach. He's gifted you to encourage. He's gifted you to serve. Take the gift that he's given you and use it for his glory, period. That's it. And I wonder, I don't, I don't really think I have the personality that can handle a gift like that. It would probably ruin me. So I know what I'm called to do. They knew what they were called to do. And they were called to do a miraculous work because God was using those miracles to build the church in its infancy. Now, we've already read that the church was meeting together in an area known as Solomon's Colonnade. It's a bit of a mouthful. You wouldn't want to name a coffee house that. Solomon's Colonnade. Well, you know, this was an interesting place. We've talked about it. We talked about it in Acts chapter 3. We saw it in, in John 10. A colonnade is a covered area where people can stand or walk protected from the weather. It's like a pavilion. It's, a, it's an outside place, an outside gathering. Uh, the colonnade was originally built by Solomon in the eastern part of the temple. So that's roughly a thousand years earlier. Uh, and it was there intact remaining intact after the destruction of the temple by the Babylonians in 586. So it's one of the last remaining parts of the original temple. Uh, It was ultimately destroyed with the rest of Herod's temple by the Romans in 70 AD. But this becomes the place where the church gathers, an outdoor gathering. Now, I can't help but think of how God provided for us last summer. It's just about this time last year. Uh, where Pastor Russ asked, hey, could we, could we go outside? Because we were inside for about 10 weeks, and we were doing the video, and boy, was that a pain. Uh, I didn't enjoy that. I'm being honest. I didn't enjoy that at all. I like seeing faces. I really do. I don't, I don't, I don't really want to look at a camera and imagine what the faces look like. But, uh, so we, or we could get those little cardboard cutouts like they had over at City Field or wherever. They, um, so here's what I, here's what I feel. I, I feel that you respond to what God is doing, where God is calling you to go for the moment. You, you don't hold on to those things, 
But for that 22-week period, we were outside here in the parking lot. Never realized how well our parking lot was set up to be able to do an outdoor service. And uh, we set up over here by the bell, and people were up in the parking lot. You guys know you were here. People came from all over. Many uh, churches were closed at the time, so we were able to open our, not really our doors, but our parking lot to uh, all, all different brothers and sisters from around the area. What a wonderful time of fellowship. Everyone felt safe, because even though at that time we didn't know what we know now, uh, being outside, everyone pretty much figured out early on, except for the CDC, that in fact, it is safe to be outside and breathe fresh air. Imagine that. Well, we were out there, and uh, we, we had a great time, and uh, God worked in our midst. And I got to tell you, it was, it was a special, wonderful, wonderful time. And I know that this must have been in the early church a wonderful time. The church had just recently been born on the day of Pentecost. And in fact, the church was gathering in safety outside, but within the temple area. Now imagine that for a minute. They're, they're really worshiping on the temple grounds. And, you know, it's not as if the Jewish authorities are going to give them a place to worship, so they just worship in a public space. And that's what they were doing at this time. Now, it was here where Peter had addressed the crowd after he and John had healed the crippled beggar. So people saw that happen, so they kept coming back. And the apostles would preach, and people would fellowship and worship God. This is the temple, after all. But think about it for a minute. The Gentiles weren't really allowed in this part of the temple. This, this is a, a very Jewish church. It's really actually a, a sect of Judaism at this point. That would change over time, and we'll see that in the book of Acts. But as it stands at this moment, remember this. These are Jews worshiping as Jews in a Jewish temple, but these are Jews that believe that Jesus is the Messiah, and they're worshiping him together. And the church is growing at this time. But, you know, I read something interesting there. We read something together in verse 13. It says, no one else dared join them. Now, it's talking about people outside the church. No one else dared join them, even though they were highly regarded by the people. The apostles were highly regarded by the people. The church was highly regarded by the people. That is, the people outside the church. Oh, I wish that were true today. But I really can't blame the world for looking at us suspiciously. Uh, we earned that as a church. Not us individually, but as the church in America, have we not cast suspicion on our sincerity? I mean, when you look at the church and some of the things that happen in churches and some of the things Christians who attend church are involved in, I'd be suspicious. I am suspicious many times. God wants us to be a pure church, and if the world is going to respect us enough to show up, we, we got to live what we believe. Well, you know, after Ananias and Sapphira, that happened. And I'm hoping that after COVID, and that's so nice to say that, after COVID, that will happen in the church as well. I was hoping after 9-11 that would happen. It lasted a couple weeks, maybe. Maybe. Let's hope for better. You know, those Jews that didn't believe in Jesus were afraid to join the church, despite their excellent reputation. There was nothing other than fear keeping them from joining the church. It wasn't as if they said, ah, the church are all hypocrites. All they want is money. These people, they say one thing and they do another. I don't feel welcome there. They tell me I, I can't wear pants, you know, for women. So, you know, it's like 
over the years, I've, I've heard so many things that people have shared with me that have kept people from coming to church. And, and most of them are, can I say it, really ridiculous. Can you imagine? Well, this is what was happening. The people, they didn't want to be ostracized from their fellow Jews, and, and they didn't want to be alienated from their people. But other than that, that was the only thing that really kept them from joining the church or showing up. They were afraid of being arrested by the temple authorities. But despite that, those outside the church, despite them respecting the church, the church continued to add more and more Jews to their number. Look at verse 14. I love this. Nevertheless, despite the fact that people outside the church were afraid to join them, as it says, nevertheless, more and more people, more and more men and women, by the way, believed in the Lord and were added to their number. They believed in the Lord and they were added to their number. The church continued to add more and more Jews to their number. Again, not Gentiles, not yet. That wouldn't happen just yet. But I love that both men and women, why is that important? This was a male-dominated society. The Middle East still very much is a male-dominated society. The temple certainly was. Judaism certainly is. And if you know anything about very orthodox synagogues, men and women sit separately. Now, I'm not saying they didn't. I'm just saying, look what's happening already in the early church. Men and women are together in worship. That's a good thing, isn't it? Amen? God was doing some awesome things. It started in this way, but then eventually he reached out to the Gentiles so that he could create one church, men, women, free, slave, Jew, Greek, Gentiles, those who are outside the chosen people of God, all gathered together in this way. Now, I want to point out, if you go back to chapter 4, verse uh, 4, that these Jews joined the now 5,000-plus believers in Jesus Christ in Jerusalem. Now, I don't know what the official definition of a megachurch is, and I don't want to pastor a megachurch. But I can tell you this, 5,000 sounds like a lot. And it was growing more and more, more and more, in a place where you wouldn't expect the church to grow, meeting in the temple itself, at least the outside part of the temple. I think that's a miracle in and of itself, amen? I mean, that's pretty impressive, what God was doing. But you know, one thing that, that I want to point out is that true believers in Jesus Christ were added to the church. Notice it says, I want to read this again. Notice how people joined the church. It said, nevertheless, more and more men and women believed in the Lord and were added to their number. There was a movement probably over the last 20 years, a seeker-friendly movement in the church. It, it birthed some very unhealthy um, methods of ministry, I think. The, the principle was, add people to the church and then they'll believe. Add people to the church and then they'll believe. Well, that's not what God did in the first century. People believed and then they were added to the church. See, I don't really think you can join a church or be a part of a church if you don't believe in Jesus Christ. But isn't it something? We just want the, the pews to be full so many times and well-meaning pastors and ministries just want the place to be filled that they're willing to look the other way. And again, what does that do to the purity of the church? It, it dilutes the purity of the church. 
And that, that, I believe, is what had happened over the last several decades in the church in America. We're so anxious and excited to have people join that we didn't really question whether they even believed in Jesus Christ. Now, don't get me wrong. As a pastor, I'd love to see people visit. But I'd hate to think someone would visit, not believe in Jesus Christ, and come back for the next three years and never get saved. That, that doesn't make sense. If someone's going to join a ministry, they believe in Jesus Christ, and then they're added to the church. Amen? And that's an important methodology. But, of course, visitors are welcome. But here's the thing. What I learn as I look at this is that they had a profound impact on those people that were looking in. Those that didn't join but were watching, they were affected. They were impacted by what was going on in the church. You see, I've always believed that if what's going on here is really special and awesome, you don't have to send out flyers to invite people in. They're going to find their way here. You know, I mean, let's be honest. You can have a website. You can let people know you're here. You can send out tweets. You can do that. But what causes people to come to a church is there's something happening there that they're interested in that they feel could impact them positively. They may not understand the gospel message yet, but there's enough good things happening there that it gets their attention and causes them to want to check it out. Now, that's what happened, because look at this. Look at this. Look, verses 15 through 16. Remember, we're talking about a pure church today. It says, as a result, that is, as a result of all the things we've talked about, people brought the sick into the streets and laid them on beds and mats so that at least Peter's shadow might fall on some of them as he passed by. Very superstitious people. Crowds gathered also from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing their sick and those tormented by evil spirits, and all of them were healed. Not 50%, not 30%, not those with faith and those that didn't have faith weren't healed. All of them were healed. Wow. That's what can happen in a pure church. Remember who's being healed, though. It isn't necessarily just those 5,000 that are gathering for worship. It's those that didn't dare join. But you can imagine how that must have impacted them after their loved ones or they themselves were healed, after evil spirits were cast out. Let's talk about this a little bit. The Jews, those outside the gathering of the church, which wasn't called the church just yet, but we know it as the early church, these Jews brought those who were sick, those who were demon-possessed to Jerusalem. Why? That they might be healed. You see, what was it that was attracting people to the gathering of believers? If you are around these people, heck, if Peter's shadow was cast on you, you might actually be healed. Now, I know that physical healing is something we all desire to see and want, myself included. And I know that this was a particular time in church history, but I also believe, to this day, and always will, that God can heal physically, mentally, emotionally, if he so chooses, how he chooses. Okay, I, there's no prescribed method. I believe that God wants to do a work in us and through us, but I also believe a pure church will do a work around the church, outside the church, in such a way that you don't have to beg people to come. They will see something happening 
in the gathering of the saints that's so attractive to them, so inspirational, so encouraging, that they think to themselves, that's where I need to be. Is it, is it far-fetched to believe that a pure church could get that kind of response from its community? Well, that's what happened. I believe that's what God wants to do today. Listen, rather than lamenting the political climate and the difficulties that we face as a society, remember that you and I, we have the answer, and the darker things get. The worse they become, the higher the prices of gas go, you and I have a place we come on Sundays and Wednesdays and throughout the week where we have peace, joy, love, and all the fruits of the Spirit. We have our security in Christ. We have fellowship. We have something the world desperately needs and even wants. But we have to recognize that God can only do that work in a church if that church is pure. Now, and we strive to be that pure church. Not perfect, by the way. We'll, we'll define pure before we're done here today. Okay. Now, I want to talk a little bit about what was happening here. Because in any movement of the Spirit, there are misunderstandings. Uh, just like uh, the pool at Bethesda, you know. People are often confused about how God heals. But people came, and they just heard people were getting healed. And there must have been such a rush to the, to the temple area to try to get close to these people, knowing that everyone that encountered them was healed. They're thinking, wow, this would be great. They laid people who were, who were in need of healing, they laid them in the street on beds and mats, just believing that even if Peter's shadow was cast on them, they would be healed. That, that's faith, but it's also superstition. Now, shadows in the ancient world, you may not know this, but shadows were believed to bring curses or blessings to those that were passed over by them. So in the ancient mind, a shadow had power for good or for evil. So if an evil person's shadow was cast on you, you might get some kind of evil from them. Now, this isn't real. It's just the way they thought. It's very superstitious. But if a good person's shadow was cast on you, you could sort of absorb some good from them. It's, it's kind of like the evil eye. It's like that, uh, if you're Italian or Spanish, you, you, know, you know about that. If somebody looks at you a certain way, you could be cursed. And so you wear this little thing around your neck, and for those of you who are Italian, you know what I'm talking about. Little thing, the little horn and the little hands. Okay, boom, you, you, I'm, I'm deflecting the evil eye. It's a shield to keep the evil eye off of me. The malukia, you know, you know, my dad used to joke with us all the time with the evil eye. He'd take his eye and go like this. But, you know... I know, I know that those things aren't real. Amen, they're not real. But the ancient culture was so superstitious, and they were in so much need of healing, and they saw what was going on, and somebody must have said, hey, I mean, Peter's a, a holy man. If he walks past and his shadow hits you, you'll be healed. Really? Okay. So they lined up on the side of the street where the shadows were cast, and they waited for Peter to walk by that his shadow might hit them. Now, I don't know if anyone was healed this way. It doesn't say they were. It doesn't say they weren't. But if they were healed in this way, it was merely a point of contact used to release their faith in God. But I am suspicious of that. I don't really think it happened. I just think that that's how people were responding. This was, this was crazy. People were going nuts because everyone was getting healed. Crowds brought their sick and tormented from the towns and villages surrounding Jerusalem. And, and the sick included those that had various illnesses, chronic conditions, 
And the tormented, those who were tormented by evil spirits, included those with mental illnesses and inexplicable conditions. Anytime you had an inexplicable condition or a mental or psychological problem, they would say you have an evil spirit. But let me also say that there were probably people who actually had an evil spirit as well who were possessed. But just understand that that definition was broader than just someone who's possessed by a demon. Because they would say, oh, they have an evil spirit. Because the truth be known, not that I want to see this, and I haven't, and I'm glad to say I haven't, a demon-possessed person can act in a way that appears to be a mental illness. And I've, I've heard pastors say, and I am not an authority on this, and I don't want to be, but I have heard pastors say that many times mental illnesses are, in fact, some type of spiritual possession or oppression. I wonder. I don't know. I know that there are legitimate mental illnesses, and I know that there are spiritual possessions of demons. And so I know that these things exist, but I'm not in a position to be able to discern which is which and what is what. But it didn't matter. Because whatever your situation was, if you came to Jerusalem, you would be healed. You see, that's how people need to see the church. It doesn't matter whether you're dealing with substance abuse. It doesn't matter whether you're dealing with thoughts of suicide, anxiety, fear, and depression. It doesn't matter whether you have a condition of bipolar. It doesn't matter whether you need physical healing. Because you come to the place where Jesus can heal. Amen? We don't have to diagnose. We just need to pray for healing. So that's what we were seeing in the early church. It's what I love to see in the pure church today. The apostles healed all of them in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. They healed many of their fellow Jews who didn't even have faith in Jesus Christ. Now, I'm, I'm going to say, like, I could make a case for why that shouldn't be true, right? I could say, well, how dare they? They don't want to join us. Peter, don't, don't walk the other side of the street. Don't let your shadow hit that guy. Don't let him be healed. He voted for the other guy. I, I don't want that, that person here. I know that person. They're not nice. You know something? Those are the very people that need to experience the grace of God undeserved and unmerited. Wouldn't it be something? Think about it. You got this neighbor, right? They're, they're difficult. They're angry. They challenge you at every given moment. In the fall, they blow their leaves on your property. In the winter, they shovel their snow in your driveway. And they're in need of healing, some type of healing. It doesn't matter. Maybe they have a demon. That would explain a lot. But now here's the thing. You ask if you could pray for them in the midst of maybe a conversation, and they actually let you, and they get healed. Anybody get chills? Because I'm just thinking that's what should be happening. Like, I love to see Christians get healed, but when unbelievers get healed, they get saved. You understand that, right? It's kind of hard to argue with you've had a chronic condition for like 30 years and now you can walk. Do you understand why we probably haven't seen miracles, signs, and wonders, and healings in the church all that much recently? I'm beginning to figure it out. First of all, the church isn't pure the way it should be. And again, I'm not disparaging any one church or our church. And the other thing is, we're looking for those blessings ourselves so often, 
and not thinking about where they would have the most benefit and good. It's outside the church, brothers and sisters. That's where miracles, signs and wonders, and healings need to take place. It happens through relationships. It happens when God decides to move. You can't make it happen. But I think we just need to change our minds a little bit about how we think about miracles and think, who really needs a miracle? Listen, I've had enough miracles in my life already that I don't need to see another miracle. I have faith. I believe in Christ. I could go to be with him tomorrow. And my, my, my faith isn't in question. I don't doubt the veracity of Scripture. I don't doubt those things. In fact, I would go so far as to say, as much as I'd love to see miracles in my life, it would probably be better if any miracle that would come my way would go to those nasty neighbors or co-workers or family members who need a miracle because they need Jesus. But that's hard to say because I, I, even as I'm saying that, I'm thinking, mm, do I really want to share my miracle with them? It's like as if you could give your birthday wish away, right? Am I going to give that birthday wish away? No, I don't think so. But that needs to be our heart. That needs to be our heart, brothers and sisters. And so that's what it means to be a pure church. Oh, I love what God was doing. You know, the, the Jews, they found healing and deliverance in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they put their faith in him. How do you think the church was growing? How do you think more and more people joined the church? It was because of the miracles. It was because of the healings that were taking place in the lives of unbelievers. That's amazing to me. Why would God do that? Because God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. At the end of the day, you get healed tomorrow. You're still going to die someday. It's not about the healing. It's about the saving. And that's what God was doing in the church. You know, the apostles, they simply received the gift of faith, but the people received the gift of healing. I like to say it that way. The gift of healing is to the sick. It's not to the person who God uses to bring healing. Well, the church in Jerusalem had become, by definition, a pure church. And as we close, I want to break down an acronym. And the acronym is PURE, P-U-R-E. And I think as we look at this church, we learn that they were a pure church. And the first letter is P, powerful. They were a powerful church. Why? Well, they were empowered by the Holy Spirit. Miraculous signs and wonders followed their true and sincere faith in Jesus Christ. These miraculous signs and wonders benefited the people, not the apostles. They were a powerful church. But they were also a united church. A united church. They were all together in the temple. They didn't have denominations. There wasn't the church of the colonnade and the church of the fountain and the church of outside the wall. There was the church. The body of Christ. And even if they gathered in separate cities and towns, there wasn't this emphasis on division. It was an emphasis on union and unity and communion and fellowship. The true believers in Jesus Christ gathered together regularly for praise and worship. Their meetings were open to all those who believed in Jesus Christ, not just a select few. Everyone was welcome, but not everyone dared join because they knew no playing games in this church. Ananias and Sapphira found out what happens when you play games. So you're in or you're out. I'm good with that. You know what I can't stand? You send out an Evite and there's a maybe. 
please don't ever let me see you say maybe. Just wait until you know. If there's a way to eliminate maybe, I would do that. Yes or no, in or out. The problem in the church has been we have this maybe category. Are you saved? Well, maybe. There's no maybe. Do you believe Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior? Did he die on the cross for your sins? Was he raised on the third day to bring you newness of life? Is he coming again to judge the living and the dead? Have you called on the name of the Lord? You're saved. You're in. No maybe. And there's some people that, well, I'm not sure. I doubt. Of course you doubt. Because you're thinking it has something to do with you. There's only a yes or no. So what I would like to see is the church come to that conclusion that people are in one of two categories, saved or unsaved. All are welcome, but it's yes or no. We're united, but we can't be united with those that are on that fence, and it really isn't a fence. You're on one side or the other. But the church is open to all that they might hear the message. Okay, they were a powerful church. They were a united church or a unified church. They were also respected, are respected. Notice in verse 13, they were highly regarded by the people. I think that's something we should strive for in our culture. Not to make people happy or to do stuff that would make them like us, but as we shared last week, it isn't important. Well, you'd like people to love you, but what's more important is they respect you, right? Especially parents. You, you want your children to love you, but they need to respect you. As the church, we need to be highly regarded by the people outside the church, and that only happens if we're a pure church by definition, as we've seen it defined today. They were highly regarded. There was an obvious distinction between believers in Jesus Christ and unbelievers at that time. There wasn't a confusion. You think he's a Christian? I'm not sure. No, believer, unbeliever. And you know something? I think people respect that, even if they're not believers. Unbelievers recognize the difference. They didn't dare join the church without faith in Jesus Christ. And brothers and sisters, may no one ever join a church or a body of believers unless they have declared their love for Jesus Christ and put their faith in him. They can visit, but that's not the same thing. Well, Finally, the church was not only powerful, united, and respected, it was evangelistic. And this comes on a great day, as Pastor Curtis shared with us the vision of Inspire Sports Camps. They were adding to their number, healing the sick and tormented. True believers in Jesus Christ were added to the church. True believers. Again, they weren't added that they might might believe. They believed and they were added. The crowds sought the apostles for healing. The apostles were not seeking the crowds. Stop and think about that. If we as ministers and pastors and church leaders stopped seeking the crowds and just sought the Lord with all of our hearts, mind, soul, and strength, loved our neighbors as ourselves outside the church, within the church, the crowds would be seeking us. Where would we put all the people? That, that should be the answer or the question that we try to answer. Where are we going to put everyone that wants to be here? Brothers and sisters, as I asked the worship team to come up, a pure church is not a perfect church. It better not be or we're in trouble. But it is a powerful, unified, respected, and evangelistic church. Let's seek to be a pure church.
Let's ask God to help us because only a pure church can reach the world for Christ. Lord, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. For this message from your word, we now commit to you our hearts and ask that as a church body of local church body of of believers, that we would see this as the blueprint for the church you've called us to be. Not here for ourselves, but really here for everyone who's not in this building today. Yes, Lord, seeing our needs met as a, as a body of believers. Yes, being unified and seeing the power of the Spirit, but also being highly regarded by those in our community and, and being able to reach them in some way, shape, or form with the truth of the gospel that they might believe and be added to our number. Lord, we know that you do this work. We don't do it. You do it. Well, we need to be in the right place Our hearts need to be right as individuals and as a church. We need to be pure that you might work mightily in our midst. We ask that you would do that work, and we ask that in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen.